you have your Bibles with you, if you want to turn and join me uh, in Luke chapter 2, Mike alluded to this yesterday evening from the platform. I'm just going to add a little bit more information to it. If you put a finger there in Luke 2, we'll start in verse 36. And if you would also keep a finger in Matthew chapter 5. This afternoon in talking about Anna and really bringing before you the... Um, Really, the model, the most clear, the clearest model that we have to look at in the New Testament of what we are about in IHOP. I just want to unpack that a little bit, but I want to do it in the context of, of two things that I see the Lord doing at this particular time. And, and by way of, of looking at these things, then we get a greater concept and a greater context for, for prayer and fasting and for this whole thing that we call intercessory missionary. An intercessory missionary, you're not going to find those words grouped together in the Scripture. And so many times people just think, well, that doesn't count. You'll find intercession and you'll find missionary. But where does this whole concept of intercessory missionary come from? Where do you guys get that from and prove it to me from the Bible? And I'm not here so much to, to drag you through trying to prove it to you. My greatest desire today is that it would strike your heart and just the words that that I'm using to give you definition of who and what these people are and therefore possibly give you definition for who and what you are. Because I guarantee you that of this room of about, let's say, 300 people, that some of you, at least half of you, will find out, if you don't know already, find out who you are today by looking at these scriptures. I see the Lord across the face of the earth. I've been, I've been to churches in Canada, America, Europe, Turkey, and I see the Lord doing this across the face of the earth. This is not something that one group of people can do. This is not something that some, some people in Kansas City came up with a great idea for. This is something that God is doing in this day and hour because of the time clock that He's keeping right now. And He's doing it because He did it once before. He's done it many times. He's been faithful to every generation to give them a group of people, of people who will serve Him and see their lives as being poured out through a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And we have many people through the Scripture that I can point to. I'm going I'm to give you just insight on Anna today, but I'm going to point to a couple of other, other men today that I'm just going to draw your attention to and you just go and search it out and look for it deeper with their lives. But I see the Lord doing two things across the face of the earth at this time. I see Him giving two great gifts. I call them the great gifts. They're not the only gifts that He's giving, and I'm not speaking generally of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we see written of in the Word. I'm talking about two great gifts that He's giving to the earth right now. He's giving to the, the earth worldwide men and women who will take them and pick them up and run with them. At this conference we have... About 10, 11,000 people. Atlanta is about to have their own passion conference. St. Louis is about to ramp up into their own day of prayer and fasting. My friends, the first gift that I see the Lord that, that He's giving to the face of the earth, we find it in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. And if you just follow there with me, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for, and the, the promise that the Lord gives. The Lord is sitting on a mountain. Jesus sitting on a mountain, delivering the word of the Lord, giving to us the constitution of the church. He's giving to us those things that outline who we are. And he's speaking here. And he says, blessed are those. Blessed are you. Happy is your life when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. And I want to encourage you that for the rest of your days, for all of your days that you have breath, that you make this particular verse the barometer and the compass of your life. May you be people who are consistently driven by hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ, by a hunger and thirst for His righteous ways, for His ways on the earth that He lays out in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Because His promise to those people My friends, look at it. Read it for yourself. Read it out loud. Go and meditate over it for the next couple of months. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the promise that is given is, for they shall be filled. And I believe that the the first main gift that the Lord is giving right now, it's not that He hasn't given it before, but I just I see it everywhere. I just spent a week in Vancouver, Canada, speaking to the Korean community there. Such a hungry group of people. I've never seen in in such a long time a hungry group of people. Hungry for the things of God. Wanting to know what He's doing right now on the face of the earth. Wanting to know what He's saying. Of people who have themselves given themselves to prayer and fasting. Even since the early 70s when Pastor Wong Yee Cho over in Seoul, Korea established his prayer mountains. Men and women women going into caves in mountains and setting aside periods of time where they just gave themselves to prayer and fasting. Why are they doing that? Because they saw something in the depths of their spirit in the Word that was drawing them into it. They were hungry people and they still are. And my friends, it is a gift of God to the church today, to men and women, regardless of of whether we sit in a church or not, whether we're born again or not, I want you to know that your neighbors, whether they know it or not, are having hunger poured out on them. How do I know this? Because I look around at the traps, the addictions, and the pits, and the holes in the ground that we see many of our neighbors with May I be so bold as to say that even some of us here find ourselves in those traps, those addictions that we get trapped into. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that men and women find themselves in North America, around the face of the earth, in those places today because they are searching for something and they're not satisfied on the inside. They're hungry, hungry people. And they're driven by that hunger. And my friends, you and I were created with that hunger inside, that space inside that when God just drops a little bit in and He feeds us a little bit, a taste and see, a moment in time where He drops just a little bit more of His presence and He stirs our heart just a little bit more. We were made with that inside to hunger for Him. And yet without satisfying it in the, in, in, in God and in, in searching for Him and letting that hunger drive us to righteousness, we get caught in so many things that we're trying to satisfy life with and we're actually ruining our lives because we're feeding on the wrong things. My friends, we're some of the most malnourished people on the face of the earth. And we're malnourished because we're feeding that hunger with something that we were never meant to feed it with. 
It's a gift of God that we've been made hungry people. And wherever I go, whether I talk to people at the little booth that I have set up here that talks about our internship, and the director with my wife, the intro of the IHOP program, we talk to so many hungry people. There's got to be more than this. There's got to be something way more than what I'm feeding on right now. I meet them everywhere I go. My friends, I honestly tell you, I am a hungry person. I am hungry. I've tried to make my life uh, a life of hunger towards God. Hungry for His presence. Longing to see a move of God in my generation and in my children's generation that only my grandfathers and forefathers talked about. That I've never ever touched. Moves of God that maybe even some of you have been involved in that I've never seen. Revival on a scale that you and I have never seen. A touch of the presence of the Holy Spirit such as I have never seen with my natural eyes nor felt with my own human spirit, yet I long and I hunger for it. And my friends, we're in a nation, we're in a world that is hungry for something like this. Hungry to be filled with the righteousness and the goodness of God. To truly know God as He is. Not to be afraid that He's shaking us over hell, off, held by our collars with a rotten stick that at any moment in time will just fall out of His grasp and He's unable to carry us through this wilderness called life, which it is. This life is called a wilderness. My friends, this is our momentary light affliction. When Peter talks about momentary light affliction, He's not just talking about those times of trial and testing, those one-month period, that one-year period, that however, that short period of life where you go, you go through a difficult trial and you feel like you're being refined and your character is being shifted and adjusted. My friends, yes, that is a picture of a momentary light affliction, but I just want you to know when you and I compare our lives in light of eternity where we will spend either the, the rest of our days once we breathe our last either with the Lord or without Him, there is an eternity out there that is bearing down on men and women and it, this life right now is a momentary light affliction. It's a, it's a difficult walk some days. Oh, but it's a glorious walk. It's something for you and I to walk out with the Lord. It's something for you and I being driven by hunger that we can truly in this life be satisfied with Him and with Him being enough, we'll be satisfied. I believe it's a gift to you and I right now. We call it the gift of hunger. Okay, what has this got to do with intercessory missionaries? Well, it's got everything to do with it. Because I believe... What we call here the fasted lifestyle or the lifestyle of an intercessory missionary or the lifestyle, let me say it this way, the lifestyle of prayer and fasting, that lifestyle actually feeds our hunger. It's what feeds our hunger. You see, my friends, there's so many of you sitting in this room today so hungry, you are about to abandon anything. If you just get somebody to put the finger on it, if you just, if the Lord just comes in and sweeps in and just in one of our meetings or a month from now, you're at home, sitting at your desk at work, bored with life, reviewed, reviewing one of the messages that you've heard or just thinking about a simple phrase that somebody said or, or just being stirred in your heart from your morning's Bible reading 
and suddenly the Spirit of God just breathes on your spirit and you're ready to cut loose and abandon anything to get more of Him. That's being hungry. And my friends, when you reach the depths of that hunger, men and women will abandon anything to feed that hunger. As a leader of the internship, I've seen men and women with their families quit jobs, not necessarily knowing what they're coming to, but they've tasted it once, they quit their job, and they I'm not telling you to do that, just so you know. This is not necessarily for you, the word of the Lord. But I'm just telling you, I've seen men and women do it. Quit a job, sell a house, be here, and go through the trial and the difficulty of trying to get reestablished here in this place because they're hungry people and that hunger has led them to abandon to something that they, they know is difficult in the short term, but in the long term it will pay eternal dividends, eternal rewards. It will. So we want to look at Anna today just by way of an example because she is an example of a person who made a decision at a critical hour. And that decision was given her, she was given grace to make that decision at that difficult, critical hour. Another two men I want to draw your attention to, and I'll just mention them by way of passing, is Daniel and another gentleman by the name of Noah. These are people that we know their stories quite well, so I don't have to give you a lot of background. But before I get to Anna, let me talk about Daniel for a moment. My friend's 15 years old when he's taken captive by a foreign pagan king into a foreign land. 15 years old. Let me ask you, moms and dads, could your 15-year-olds make decisions that Daniel made in captivity if they were taken today from you into captivity? Could they? What's in their spirit? Because what's in their spirit is what they'll live out. I tell you that Daniel somehow, some way, was prepared by his mother and father. That even though he grew up actually in the midst of somewhat of a revival, he was born and raised a few years of his life during Josiah's reign. And Josiah was having revival. He was turning the nation back to God. And yet during that time, there was another man, his name Jeremiah, and he was saying, Jeremiah was saying, I know this is good. King Josiah, what you're doing is good. So God is going to give you a reprieve. But there's another man coming. His name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he will level this city to the ground and take your sons into captivity and what are you going to do then start preparing your sons now i'm paraphrasing what he said and so daniel's mother and father even in the midst of revival knew that some greater crisis was coming and they began to prepare their son with a lifestyle of prayer scripture reading yes enjoying the revival that was there for certain but also calling him to a lifestyle of prayer and fasting Why was that necessary? Because they heeded the voice of the prophets. And so when their son was taken into captivity, into a foreign land, and that foreign king wanted him to serve him just by eating whatever he wanted and not having control of his appetites, Daniel suddenly was able to say, wait a minute, I wasn't born to feed off of your table. I'm going to feed and fulfill. I'm going to satisfy my hunger off of a different table. And he said no to the king's table. 
And my friends, the battle line that Daniel chose in captivity was not staying away from school, not learning the language of the Chaldeans. He chose the battle line of his stomach. He chose his appetites because he knew that if he affected his appetites, his flesh would take control. My friends, we're not in captivity. But we need to take control of our appetites. We need to start making decisions under the grace of God that will change our appetites. That will draw a battle line in the sand and say, no, I'm withholding from myself. It's called fasting. Well, I, I have this physical condition. I, my, my body gets all weird when I fast. You know what? Mine did too in the beginning. And if you actually do have a physical condition, there's many other ways of fasting. How about going without TV for a week? What would that be like? Oh my gosh. Don't know how that would work. No, I mean, try it. That's intense. <laughs> Daniel made a decision. He tells us in chapter 1, he purposed in his heart, he made a decision, I'm not going to allow my appetites to control me. I'm making a decision. A lifestyle of prayer and fasting. It tells us at the end of chapter 1 that God blessed Daniel with dreams and vision. In other words, let's say it this way, a prophetic spirit came on him as a young man. And then the very obscure verse, verse 21 of Daniel chapter 1, it says this, Thus, that means this type of lifestyle, Daniel continued in until the years of King Cyrus. Do you know that King Cyrus was 60 years later? Where did he get grace to live that life for 60 years? My friends, it was a gift to him. And that's what we're talking about in this, in, in showing you Anna as an example, Daniel as an example, that this comes as a gift. Well, what if I don't receive that gift? That's not the issue. The issue is, is that I cannot stir up within myself 60 years of prayer and fasting and be happy at the end of those 60 years. I just want you to know that. When was the last time you saw anyone do anything for 60 years and be happy? I mean, really. 60 years, same job, and they walk away from it happy. Not disgruntled, not upset. They just, hey, I did a good job for 60 years. When was the last time you saw anybody do anything for 60 years straight, faithfully? Daniel chose to feed his hunger off of a different table. Well, let's look at Anna. Luke chapter 2. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, meaning Jesus, or the baby in Mary and Joseph's hands to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Here's Anna in the temple. She's been poring over the Scriptures. She's had a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. We're told here in the context that she got married and from an early age she lost her husband. We're going on general 
conservative estimates. Let me just say it this way. She was probably, although she might have been younger, she was probably, let's say, 17, 18, 19 when she got married. Lived with her husband seven years, had no children. And at the end of seven years, loses her husband, becomes a widow. So let's call her, let's say, 24 when she's widowed. And here we pick up the story in this context. She's 84 years old. My friend, 60 years in the place of prayer. How do I know that she spent 60 years? Well, it's right there. Do the math. But what else? What happened to her? At 24 years of age, she loses her husband and crisis breaks in on her life. My friends, it's it was difficult in those days to be a widow. But much more difficult was to be a widow with an empty, barren womb. It carried with it a stigma. It carried with it shame. It carried with it a, a crisis to life that would set her side, that would that would count her out, that would move her to the side. And yet, in that moment of crisis, she makes a decision. Grace to her by God. And instead of sitting down in her ashes, she says, Oh God, is there something that you can do? I've seen what it's like for widows. I've watched them grow up. I've seen them in the city. I know what life is going to be like for me unless you have another husband for me. Oh God, can you do anything for me? Here I am. Enjoy me right now in the midst of this crisis. What can you do for me? And in her moment of crisis, instead of sitting down and wallowing in the pig pen of self-pity, she stands up and she says, Oh my God, are you not the God of Israel? Can you not do something for me? And she makes a critical decision that like some of her forefathers, like Daniel, in her moment of crisis... She's not going to turn her life over to emptiness and just empty wandering. And she asks for a grace and she stays in the place of prayer. There's several critical things that we need to see from Anna's life and it's why we use her as our role model here. It's why we so often you'll hear people say, I'm an Anna and you'll go, "Okay, what's that? What's an Anna? Is that an internship? I don't know. I've never seen one of your internships called Anna. Help me with that. And all we're doing is we're just using her as a role model, as a a way of looking in on what we feel the Lord is pouring out on the earth and gracing the earth as a gift right now. So first it tells us, right in the very beginning, it says there was one, Anna, a prophetess. She gives herself to a lifestyle prayer and fasting. And my friends, what is the fruit of that? What is the one of the main fruits of a lifestyle of, of prayer and fasting? Well, it's, very, it's written right there. It says she's a prophetess. My friends, I want to draw your attention to this simple fact. In this story here in Luke 2, it's the story of the birth of Jesus. And then as we move through the context, Jesus' earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, bringing Jesus into the temple that day as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes for his dedication. And my friends, in the temple that day, there were only two people that recognized the eternal glory on that child. 
We have no other record of anybody else telling us who, whether they recognized him or not. We have Simeon who says, Lord, I can now depart. My life is happy. My life's work is finished. I can depart in peace. I've seen your salvation. And then we have Anna herself who walks up and says, Hey, everybody, this is the Redeemer of Jerusalem. This is the consolation that we've been waiting for. My friends, only two people in the temple that day had an understanding, a prophetic spirit on them that recognized who this baby was. What's the fruit of a lifestyle of prayer and fasting? Number one, a prophetic spirit comes on you. Where did Daniel get all of those dreams and visions of the last six chapters of his book? Where did that come from? It was his lifestyle of prayer and fasting. He enters it at age 15. My friends, his first dream that we have recorded for him in chapter 7 didn't come until he was 55 years old. Forty years later, he had spent in prayer and fasting, and he gets his first dream with end times eschatological input on it. And we take the language from chapter 7 of Daniel, bring it over into the book of Revelation, and you would be surprised how many scriptures actually cross right over exactly word for word. My friends, where did he get that? Where did Anna get that? A lifestyle of prayer and fasting. It was the grace of God. It was a gift of God on her life. She made a decision. I'm not going to wander. I'm not going to sit down in self-pity. God's got something greater for me. Yes, this is an hour of crisis. But, oh, God, come and enjoy me. What gift can you give me right now? You freely give and take away. You've taken my husband, but I'm not going to get bitter with you. I'm not going to get angry with you. I'm asking, would you help me right now? She gives herself to this and God gifts her, graces her with 60 years, 60 years. She has a prophetic spirit and here she is at the end of her days saying, this is the child. This is what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 9. I'm paraphrasing. I know I'm adding to the text, but she pointed her finger at that kid and said, he's the one. My friends, the Lord is doing that in this day and in this hour. He's taking men and women with a hunger inside for more of God. And he's stirring that hunger. And in that hunger, they're about to and they're thinking of how can I abandon myself in greater depth to this man called Jesus. And like he set Anna in her place for his first coming to announce his first coming into the temple. Right now, God is doing that across the face of the earth to announce his second coming. We are just around the corner. I don't know how many years, 40, 50, maybe 20, maybe two. I doubt two, but you know. He's setting men and women in that place right now. That if they give themselves to it, receive it as the gift that it is, decide to make some decisions with their appetites, decide to allow the hunger for God to drive them all the days of their life instead of hunger for addictions and how entertainment can soothe that hunger on the inside. He's willing to give it. It's a free gift. It's something that you ask for. It's something that even when you're 25 or 30 years into it, you keep asking for it because it takes his grace to keep you going in it. 
He gives Anna a gift. Fruit number one is is a, a prophetic spirit on her life. Interesting enough, when she was a baby, I'm kind of just jumping around in the scripture. When she was a baby, it tells us that her father is Phanuel. Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Have you ever wondered, okay, so we're using Anna. What's all that added extra information in there for? Did you know that Phanuel in the Hebrew, it actually means the face of God. Phanuel, her father's name, means the face of God. Ever since that little girl was a baby, being held in her father's arms, gazing up into his face, she was gazing into the face of God. My friends, God was prophesying over her when she was a little baby. Anna, you're going to do this a whole lot. You're a little baby right now being held in your father's arms. But you're going to do this a whole lot. You're going to gaze into my face most of your life and you're going to be happy another thing it tells us it says that she she remained in the temple so she stayed there and she served the lord with fasting and prayer night and day three things in there that i want to point your attention to first of all my friends it says she served the lord do you realize that the lord is served in this lifestyle Do you realize this is a service to God, just like pastoring, just like teaching, just like prophesying? It is a service to God. And my friends, you choose it. And under the grace of God, if he sets you in that place, he will pay for it. I know he will. He's doing it for me. I was a middle school teacher. Yes, it was a wild ride. Anyhow, we'll move on. I was a middle school teacher in Canada. My wife, a registered nurse. We had a good life, supporting missionaries, doing short-term mission trips from time to time. And God called us out of that, and suddenly this is what I'm doing for my life. I have to raise my own support. I'm a missionary. Nobody's paying me a salary to stand here. I'm doing this because God called me to it, and I'm happy to do it. But He's supporting me. There was a real crunch time. Oh, I could tell you stories like the day I was looking in the newspaper. The pressure was so intense. God, is this really what you want me to do? And I'm sitting at a table in my kitchen reading the newspaper. My wife peeks over my shoulder and says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm looking for a job. She said, that's wonderful, honey. But do you know that if you go and get a job, you'll be sinning? Husband, stand strong. I'm in this with you. Don't give in to the pressure. If the Lord is putting his hand on you, he will pay for this lifestyle. He will pay for you to be before him and to serve him with fasting and prayer all of your days. It may be 20. It may be 10. It may be five. It may be 50, but he'll pay for it. I guarantee you. Will there be difficulty? Absolutely. Will it be tense at times? Absolutely. That's how character is built. That's how Anna was made. She had that pressure. But it's real and God will pay for it. God is served through your fasting and prayer. Next, it says that she gave herself to fasting and prayer. Not just prayer, not just fasting, both fasting and prayer. My friends, David tells us that the moment he chose to discipline his spirit with fasting, that's when his family got angry with him. 
Oh, the number of times we've been asked, are you a cult down there? You're fasting. Hey, wait a minute. Fasting's actually in the Bible. Imagine doing something that's actually in the Bible, following through with that because it's in the Sermon on the Mount, and suddenly people think you're nuts. You know what? It's not that they think you're nuts. It's that it's they're challenged on the inside because they're hungry too. And then it says night and day. Okay, man, like 24-7, yeah. I mean, so she never left the temple like she slept there? Well, no, I don't think it means that. What I think it means is, is that she never went away from that lifestyle. So she had her apartment. She'd go home to her apartment, day or night, whatever, whatever, however it went for her, whatever her schedule was, she'd go home. What, what's the big deal about night and day? The big deal to me is, and I think to the Lord, is that the Lord has access to your life 24-7. So that when you put your head to the pillow, you know how many kings have put their heads on their pillow and dreamed a dream from God? My friends, even the kings of the earth, even the greatest president of the earth right now on the face of this earth is vulnerable when he puts his head on his pillow at night. Because there is a higher king and there is a higher throne. And that's all the Lord is asking about. He's just saying, do I have access to your life 24-7? If I just decide to, after you've given yourself to a a day of real, intense prayer and fasting, and you go home to bed, and oh, great, okay, now I'm going to rest in the Lord. The Lord gives His beloved rest. Ah. And your head goes down in your pillow, and all of a sudden, bam, an hour into your sleep, and you're just down and out for the count, and suddenly this dream starts to wind through your mind that's got influence on your neighbor. And suddenly the next morning, you're up at 2 in the morning instead of your regular 7 in the morning, and you're up and you're praying, and you're asking for God to break in on your neighbor, break in on your family. All it means is He's got access to you 24-7. That's all that means. What's another fruit of this lifestyle? Well, Anna says that she was a prophetess. But it also says that she was an intercessor. She served the Lord with fasting prayer. So this was a gift. This is another fruit of this life is that she was given to intercession. She really gave herself to what's on the Lord's heart for that person. There were moments in time where she walked by the market. You know, they had markets in those days. We have supermarkets. We pull things off the shelf. In her day, she had to go through the market, get herself a piece of bread. And standing in line for bread, there's Matilda standing next to her. I don't know if they had Matilda back in those days, but, you know. And suddenly she gets a a current of the Spirit, a breath of the Spirit. Something prophetically comes to her, and God starts to speak to her about Matilda. But the Lord says, wait a minute, hold on, I got more. And she goes home and she begins to pray for Matilda. And suddenly God begins to give her more information. And that prophetic spirit and that spirit of intercession is just feeding off of one another. One feeds the other and it's just a continuous cycle. But there's one other thing that she had. It says that she went around telling everyone. She recognized that, hey, wait a minute, isn't everybody else seeing it too? Doesn't everybody else see that this baby has got glory on him? Doesn't everybody else see that this child is is destined for glory? He's the the child that Isaiah spoke of in in chapter 9 of his writings. He said, unto us a child is born. This is the child. Hey, everybody, don't you see it too? What does that mean? She was an evangelist. She told everybody about this child. This child, watch his life. 
Watch him. My friends, the normal paradigm of our churches today is, you know, the prophets prophesy. The the evangelists go out into the street and shout and scream, fire and brimstone at people. And the intercessors, we stick those ladies down in the basement of the church and they shundai mahundai for a few days. But we miss the point. Here we have one person with all three of those giftings inside of her makeup. My friends, we are all called to prophesy. We are all called to speak to our neighbors, the lost, about their condition if they continue to carry on in that lifestyle. We are all called to intercession. My friends, all of those, all three of those main giftings were inside one woman. Yeah, you may not have a platform to say, thus saith the Lord. But how about just taking the scripture that you read in your devotion that morning and the person in front of you standing in line and suddenly you just get this, this, this touch in your heart. You know what? I'm just thinking of that phrase right now. And, and since I got that phrase, Lord, what are you saying? And you start looking around the shopping mall that you're in or, or the lunch table that you're at at work. And you say, Lord, who's that phrase for? And then he shows you. He makes it clear to you who it's for. And then you don't have to walk up to him and say, thus saith the Lord, the, loves, the Lord loves you. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. You could just walk up and say, you know what, Tony, I was just thinking of this. I mean, you know, you know, I'm a Christian. I just like reading the word. And this morning I was reading the word and the word was teaching me and telling me about how the Lord loves me. And I just want you to know, I just feel I should tell you that the Lord loves you today. I mean, he really does. He's watching you today. His eyes are glancing on you today. And just tell him that. We don't need a platform to prophesy to our neighbors and our friends across the desk. My friends, it just takes the word of God. The word is powerful enough. It will do its work. One of the final fruits that we see here in Anna's life. So she was a prophetess. She had a prophetic spirit on her life. She dreamed. I'm I'm saying she dreamed. She spoke the word of the Lord. She was an intercessor. She was an evangelist. But it says, as it begins that phrase, it says that she gave thanks to God and told everyone. My friends, one of the fruits, of living a life, this fasted lifestyle, this this life of an intercessory missionary is a life of gratitude. Do you realize that for all of our days, we're just meant to be thankful to the Lord? We're just meant to live lives of gratitude. We're just meant to say, oh God, come and enjoy me today. I am the object of your desire. Come and enjoy me. Let me enjoy you today. Fill me with gratitude. I'm grateful Thank you. One final person I want to draw your attention to. That's Anna. There's a man by the name of Noah. Jesus tells us in his own prophecy in Matthew 24 of end times, he says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And I I always looked at that verse and and just kind of went, okay, yeah, as in the days of Noah. So in the days of Noah, they were killing one another. They were blaspheming God. 
They were robbing from one another. I would always think of all the negative things that were existing and going on in Noah's day. Those very things that God judged and said, you know what? I'm no longer going to contend with man. I'm finished with him. But my friends, how about the positive things that God gave in the days of Noah? Have you ever thought about those? Think about this for a moment. God sees the condition of men's hearts that they are so wicked that he's done with them and he's about to send a flood and about to God is 110 years. Do you realize that? That from the moment that God spoke to Noah, Noah, build an ark. God, what's an ark? Noah, I'm going to rain on the earth. Lord, what's rain? Because up until that time, the water came up out of the ground, springs on the earth. They hadn't had rain. They had dew, but they didn't have rain. And God gives Noah a mandate. Build me an ark. My friends, the gift, the positive gift of God given to Noah was that for a hundred and ten years, that man stayed at his job doing what seemed weak and miserable and foolish to the rest of the earth. But on the day that God began to reign was the wisdom of God. God graced Noah with a hundred and ten years that in year 20, can you imagine it? Sawing logs and the neighbors walk by again. Noah, what are you doing? Building an ark. What's an ark, Noah? Well, God said it's going to rain. What's rain, Noah? Well, God said it was going to rain and he was going to flood the earth. Yeah, right. You're crazy. Do you see, my friends, as in the days of Noah, yes, the increase of wickedness is going to happen. But my friends, the Lord is meeting us, not just with the understanding that wickedness is going to increase, but that in those same days, as in the days of Noah, so shall the end come. In these days, God is wanting to give you and I an understanding that He's willing to give the gift of preparing something for a long time. Moses did it for 110 years. Keep doing this. Life, Moses, Noah. 110 years, Noah, keep doing it. God, 50 years, I mean, they're they're really mocking me. They don't like it. You know, my kids are growing up. They're kind of getting beat up by the other kids. Lord, I mean, this is a tough life. Right. Noah, in the end, it will prove wisdom. I will no longer wrestle with men. Noah, the end is coming. The end is sure. But I need you to stay and do what you're doing. And Noah is faithful. 80 years, 90 years, 100 years. And then finally, God gives him the order. Go into the ark. Noah, it's time. My friends, the most the saddest thing about that story is that animals listened to the voice of God to get into the ark and men did not. That ark saved eight people. Are you going to judge Noah on the basis of eight disciples? Are you going to judge his life work 110 years doing the same thing for eight people? Oh, my friends, God is wanting to give you and I something way beyond really we can comprehend. 
It's called the, the lifestyle of the gift of fasting and prayer. For some of you, that'll be for a season because you have other mandates placed on your life. But there are some of you, like Anna, in this place that for all of your days, you are called to live this lifestyle. You may not know the context right now. You may not have the full understanding of it. You know what? I totally believe God can give that to you. We could talk a lot about the practical things, but I found it to be very different for every single person. It's very, very different. And what I find is that simply God is stirring the hunger of men and women's hearts. And they're at this place that they're willing to take anything that belongs to them that seems of real value like Mary of Bethany and break it open, pour it out on his feet and waste it on his feet because they'd rather abandon to God and to the hunger that's in their hearts than stay hungry in a negative way with their addictions the rest of their lives. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you today? God is giving these two great gifts right now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And to answer that hunger, he's pouring out a change of lifestyle where you start to order your life around prayer and fasting instead of the 14-day holiday in the middle of the summer. Ooh. No, my friends, really. We work so hard. Five days a week, some of us probably six, so that we can get to the weekend, so that we can recharge our batteries to go back another week, so that through the year we can eventually get to our 14 days of holidays, so that we can go and recharge and then come back after 14 or days or however long you and I get and do the whole thing for a year all over again. My friends, there's something more. The earth is being driven by hunger right now, and many are hearing the Lord feed that hunger with a change of lifestyle. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're an Anna. And maybe you feel a little out of place like Noah did, building an ark in the middle of nowhere where there's no water. But still, there's wisdom in it. Let's stand. If you just join me, if you just want to put your hands out in front of you, just kind of cup them. There are many of you in this room today that are understanding generally what I'm talking about.